Okay, so my name is Leonore Inez Ortega-Till. Good to see everybody here. Hi, everyone. I will be taking out my gum. Um, continuing in our ser- series on Luke, but before I begin, I want to tell you a story of a really interesting young woman who became a Christian at the age of 12. Her name was Little Leonore. And Little Leonore went to church camp and became a Christian. But unfortunately for Little Leonore, being a Christian didn't really mean anything different than before she was a Christian, except for sometimes she'd tell her dad to take her to youth group and she wouldn't go. Um, I'll be honest, I was the girl who sometimes got out of the car and went to youth group and sometimes went to the park, Lincoln Park in Greeley, Colorado. Um, my dad was a super nice guy, would take my friends from all around the countryside to church and to youth group, and as soon as he drove away, we would decide whether or not we were going to go to church. Um, and my youth pastor caught me about three months in after I was like waiting for my dad to pick me up. And our youth pastor was pretty cool. And he's like, do you want me to tell your dad? And I said, no. And he's like, all right, I won't. And he didn't, which was really cool. But essentially I tell you that because being a Christian for me at the beginning did not look any different than when I wasn't, except for I felt a lot of guilt. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to make my beliefs change my behaviors. And in fact, I didn't want to. I wasn't all about that. I really believed at that age that I could be a Christian, which basically meant I said a prayer, which basically meant that I had a golden ticket to heaven, and basically meant that I was good with God and could love Jesus and pray and ask for things if I needed to, but if I didn't need to, I could still beat up girls on the weekend. I could still be really bad. I was that little... Um, back in the 80s, you made your hair really big, 80s and 90s. Took a little bit of Aquanet, but I swear, if you moved one hair, all of it would go. And go like this. And if it rained, it was a big bummer because your eyelashes would stick. Like They'd be like that. So back in those days, you know, there was the B Street bunnies in Greeley. They were pretty cool. You wore a little eyeliner right here, a little black eyeliner to show people you were not messing around. And I was one of those chicks. I was a bully. I was a bully. Many physical fights, many cops called on me. Yeah, right. (laughs) No one would know this, right? And it's because I didn't think that it mattered how I behaved or, or even asking God to have any part in my behavior. He was a little part of my belief system, which is like a little tiny nugget up here, but had no access on the way I believed or on the way I behaved. I could just be myself, but I had my little Jesus area in my heart. Then um, when I was a little older, I guess like maybe 16, I went to a different church camp and I met this guy named Micah Ortega and I met him at church camp. It was a Midwest Foursquare youth. Has anyone ever heard of Foursquare churches? It's Pentecostal guys, Foursquare. Look it up. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of similar to Assemblies of God or uh, Vineyard, but a little crazier. It was founded by a woman and that's the church that I grew up in, the Foursquare church. And so... I'm at a four-square church camp, and there's this guy named Micah Ortega, and my last name was Ortega. I'm like, dude, you're Ortega. And he's like, I'm Ortega. And I'm like, cool, nice to meet you. I start hanging out with him. And right away, almost immediately, within the first day, being 16 years old, I noticed he was different than anyone I had ever met. What I noticed about him, being the Christian I was and knowing all the Christians I had known, We still made fun of people. We still talked trash about people. We still labeled people. We still were jerks to people. Micah, for some reason, wasn't. Micah was the first person I ever met that was friends with the jocks, the preps, the goths, 
the missionary kids, the homeschooled. Micah was friends with everyone. And I didn't see him going at it from an angle that was like, let me decide if you're cool. Micah was just super confident in who he was and was super cool. And then he brought his friends, Reese and Keith, up to the church camp. And I kind of watched them from a side, too, because being 16 and being a chick, you're used to the way guys treat you as, do you have something to offer them or not? And these were good-looking guys. And so all the girls at the church camp were like, oh, my gosh, he has Sebastian Bach hair. Oh, my gosh. They're metalheads, real metalheads. And would, like, follow them around. And these guys would talk to women in the eyes, 16-year-olds, men that were acting godly, and Micah. And these guys were weird. They were real Christians, probably the first real Christians I had ever met. And it blew my mind because I was like, they read their Bibles? They're not getting high. They're not talking trash about people. It kind of confused me because honestly, even though I was a Christian for so many years, I had never seen people really lay down their insecurities and pride the way this group of people had. Um, so we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about the concept of humility and about pride. And this is continuing on in our series in Luke, Luke 14, 7 through 11. I will be reading from the New International Version which by this time isn't very new. They should rename it. Moderately new? Okay. Verse 7. This is Jesus being the he. When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All right, let's pray. God, I pray that you... uh, Give us ears to hear, Father. I pray for each person here. I thank you for each person here. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we study your word. Amen. So Jesus is at a party for a a Pharisee's party. The Pharisee's hosting this dinner. And at this time, in case you don't remember, they're kind of trying to set him up. They're inviting them into their world so they could say, you did this bad. You did this wrong. You did this bad. It's a big setup. But he's invited to this fancy party. And he's seeing all these people, and they're, like, pushing their way to sit next to the host. Back in these days, the Pharisee just had tables like this. It would have been a U. So here would be the end of the U, and then there'd be an arm going this way and an arm going this way. And the host of the party, who's a big deal back then, would sit where I am here. And the guests that were the big deal guests, the important guests of honor, would sit on either side closest to the host. They'd want to. And then people who weren't as close to him, as close to him. And until you got to the very far arm and the very far arm, the furthest you could be, they were guests, but they weren't honored at all. And so the disciples and Jesus and the Pharisees are there, and he's seeing people trying to sit by the host. And he's saying, "Uh, no-brainer, if you fight really hard to get your rights and sit next to that host, how embarrassing is it going to be when 
10 minutes later, appetizer time, everyone's sitting, chatting, plates are being moved. And then the host goes, what? Gabriel, you're not supposed to be sitting next to me. Get up in front of everybody. And now, oops, the only place left is way at the end, furthest from me. Get up in front of everybody and go sit over there. How embarrassing for that person who was, the person who's trying to have the most honor is going to be the most embarrassed. And they would have done it to themselves. He's saying, don't do that. That's embarrassing. Instead, what you should do is kind of mill around. Kind of mill around. You don't have to take the furthest one, but just look around, see what seats are open. Sit somewhere appropriate. Just sit by other people you like, maybe. And then your friend can go, wait, Gabriel, come on, bro. You're my type bro from way back. I got you a seat. This is where you're supposed to sit. And then in front of everybody, when they're sitting, you mosey up, you take your time, and you come and you sit by your buddy, and you're honored in front of everybody, right? Big moral story, right? That's what Jesus is saying to do. And it makes sense that Jesus would tell this story at this time because he wants to make sure people have an appropriate view of themselves, right? He's trying to give them a little bit of teaching. But the funny thing is he's already sitting at this table telling them that, you know, kind of too late to tell them that, but he is. And it makes me think of all of us, and it makes me think of the game of kickball. Does anybody here play kickball? Does anybody here? Thank you. You did it this morning. I was hoping you would. This young man plays kickball. He's how old? Five? He's a great volunteer. Seven. He's a great volunteer for all of these things. Um, kickball. Did anybody play kickball and feel super awkward when you were picked last, even though you're kind of making sure your body's... Larry, it's okay, dude. It's all right. Dude, Larry's always the last guy. I'm always the last, Larry. You're not always the last. <laughs> I feel like I'm last for sports. You know why? Because people don't care if you're funny in sports. My thing was like, I'm funny, and they're like, you're not competitive and you suck. You've been known to make baskets for the other team, and you laugh. They don't want you on your team if you do that. So essentially, when you go to kickball or whatever game it is or whatever sport it is or whatever thing it is, you're trying to get out there and be known. You're like, me. Uh, I'll take him. I'll take him. Move over, Leonor. Who's behind you? Oh, Mary Alice. Cool. Mary. Move over, Leonor. Oh, Savannah. Savannah. Um, dude. The reason we want to be not picked last is because we want people to think about us the way we think about ourselves. No offense, but the world revolves around us. Does the world revolve around you and your world? You'd be kind of lying if you said no. No offense, but you kind of make sure you're fed. You kind of make sure you're sleeping. You kind of make sure you get the piece of pizza you want. You make sure you get the kind of toilet paper you like. I've been asking about that. People make sure that they're taken care of. And we want to be respected. We want to be considered, more than considered. We want to be thought of. We want to be sought out. How many times a week do I talk to a young woman who says, I was looking on my Instagram and I wasn't invited to that party and all my friends were. And then the next day I'm talking to the girl that was in that picture. And she goes, yeah, I was looking for last week and I wasn't invited to that party. And then I see a different girl, and she goes, I was looking last week, and it was two weeks ago that girl was invited. And, okay, you're, one day you're going to be the girl who's not invited, and another day you're the girl who's hosting, and the other girl didn't get invited. And come on. Not everybody can consider you at all times. Not everybody's going to consider you at all times. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, 
Have an appropriate view of yourself. Don't try to push yourself forward. Sometimes when Adam preaches, he preaches about this concept, and I'll probably get it wrong, but I think it's called zero sum. And it's the idea that there are certain things that don't run out. Certain things that don't run out. I guess I would use water because even though in certain areas there can be a drought, water has a cycle. So there's water runs out, but then there's these clouds and they make rain and we have it again. So, right. So water doesn't run out. Similar. Adam likes to share with us that love, love doesn't run out. I can give love to my friend here. I can give love to my friend here. I can give love to my kids. I can give a lot of love. It doesn't run out. The problem with attention and the problem with self-promoting is that when you Make sure everyone sees you. It's at the expense of others being seen. When someone's sitting next to that host, it means someone else can't sit next to that host. When you go to Denver Zoo and those Canadian geese are strutting around and everyone's taking pictures of them, nobody's noticing the peacock, right? No. Come on, guys. Anyone taking a picture of a Canadian geese at the zoo? I feel really bad for them. They're there, people. They're not on the flyers. They're not on the website and they don't care. They're still at the zoo. Something would be missing from our lives without those Canadian geese, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> Awkward walking habits through a park. But if that peacock gets all of the wonderful pictures, it means that while you're looking at the peacock, you are not looking at the goose. While the paparazzi are focusing on one person, they cannot focus on the other person. It is not zero sum. So if you're putting your agenda first, 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 it's at the expense of others being last, last, last. Just the way it is. And Jesus gets this. Uh, Jesus is reminding us of a verse that was in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 25, 6 through 7. And it said, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say, come up here than for him to humiliate you in front of his nobles. And so part of the reason we have an issue with humility is that we don't really know what it is. Oftentimes, this is a really hard sermon to get because I'm walking around going, what are my examples of being humble? And then it kind of just cancels itself out. Does that make sense? You can't come up here and give us, let me give you a list of why I'm very humble. I worked on the list. It didn't seem appropriate. So instead, you have to talk about this. We don't know what humility is, but I can tell you what it's not. Here's some examples of what it's not. Try to find yourself in some. Try to find yourself in some. True humility is not being a martyr. It is not being that person that goes, don't worry about it. I've got it. I'll do it myself. I'll take care of this. And then you're grumbling in your heart. That is not true humility. True humility is not putting yourself last because you think you deserve to be last. True humility is not manipulation. Although, well, not although. I've been known to manipulate. That's what I was going to say. No, not although. I have been known. I'll give you an example. So my mom was really good when I was a kid of being the martyr, and I was really good at knowing that. And so I'd come back on college and I'd have all my laundry. Oh, look, all my laundry's dirty. Guess I got to go visit mom and dad for the weekend, right? Got to drive up to Greeley, visit mom and dad. And I'd put all my dirty laundry in my bed and I'd go, don't do it, mom. Don't do my laundry. I'm going to come back before Sunday, before I have to drive back to Denver late at night. I'm going to hang out with my friends for the weekend. Don't do my laundry. I'm going to get to it. 
Guys, every time she'd do my laundry and it would be folded. And I knew she would do that. And my brother would get so mad. It's like the prodigal son, older brother. And he's like, don't do your laundry, mom. Don't do your laundry. She never learns. She's been doing this for two years. Like two years of don't do my laundry. It's just that way. Like she would have said, I'm very humble. I'm just a mother. It's what mothers do. That's not true humility. Being a martyr is not true humility always, you know? Um, A child does not know how to be humble. Right now, downstairs in the basement, there's about 350 toys, if you count all the small, swallowable pieces. 250 toys, and they're all fighting over two. One is a truck, I swear. Look at how many boys we have. Right now, all the children are downstairs. You can't hear them. We styrofoam them in, and they're fighting over one truck. One truck, guys. It's happening. I kid you not. I've done this with nursery. They're fighting over one, and the reason is that truck is cool. So they all want that truck because they're not humble yet. They don't get it. It's like innate in us, like, oh, you got to look out for me. i got to look out for me. i got to look out for me. i got to look out for me, right? Last week, Mike was talking about... Um, the little woman in this verse, well, they didn't say little, but I think of little because I have, I think of me because I'm the world revolves around me because of, okay, we've been into that. So I think of a little woman, kind of my build, and she's got a 50 pound mass of dough, wet dough. And her job is to get a tiny bit of yeast mixed through a 50 pound, any of you front rowers, 50 pounds, I think so, a mass like you, mix this little dough with these tiny muscles, tiny muscles, kneading it and kneading it and kneading it and kneading it. And I just think of this little woman with like an Ellen voice and she's like, just keep kneading, just keep kneading. And she's doing it. She's doing her best. And that's how it is with humility. You don't, God's going to give you something that's going to mix through all of it, but it's freaking hard because every time you want to give up and get tired, God's like, If you stop messing with that big old blob of wet dough, some of it's not going to rise. And that's going to be a bummer for you. And that's going to be a bummer for others. So essentially, it's a task. It's daunting. It seems daunting to me to mix that much dough. (laughs) Yes, it seems daunting to me in real life to mix that much dough. But it seems even more daunting to every single time I get the opportunity to put myself first or put myself last, to put myself last. That's how freaking daunting. It'd be like if someone gave you a VW bus and said, push it. That's how hard it is to not put yourself first. But you forget. You forget because you're used to it. That's the way we live, right? Um, another thing about humility is it, only does, it doesn't only manifest in certain personality types. Someone could see someone confident and say, oh, she's prideful. She's got a lot of confidence. How dare her have so much confidence? Um, She must, or she's confident. She's a woman of the Lord. She's confident. She must not deal with insecurity. She must not deal with humility. She's a confident woman of the Lord. Or you could say, "That, that boy, he's so shy. He's quiet. Obviously, he doesn't deal with humility issues. He puts other people first. Guess what? No matter what personality type you are, you struggle with humility issues because you're still making it all about you. For instance, we were at a biblical conference in Montana, and a, one of the professors was talking about this. He said he was a shy kid. He was super shy, and he played piano really well. 
And he would play the piano really well when he was a child. And his mother and his mother's friends would say, you're so good. And he'd go, no, I'm not. And then he'd play something amazing. And they'd go, oh, you're so good. And he'd go, oh, no. He was doing it on purpose. He was saying, I suck, so that they would say, no, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. And then as he became an adult, he was really shy. And around people, he was really shy. You know why he was shy? He admitted to us. He was shy because he had a lack of humility. He came first, and he had already attributed certain attributes to the crowd, which made him better and them less than. So someone can be shy and still have issues of humility. And that's manipulative too. That's not what God is talking about when he's talking about be humble. I'm sure none of you have ever heard this. Um, Do these jeans make me look fat? That's just asking for it, right? Or in my case, do they make me look almost 40? Like how high is too high? That's the question for moms these days. How high is too high? You know, you got to be appropriate, but how high is too high? So genuine humility does not belittle ourselves. There's a translation in the Bible called the message. It's taking the words from the Bible, but kind of like a kaleidoscope. It uses all the same beads, but it kind of turns it a little, gives you a different angle. Listen to this. I really like this. The message reads, and this is the same verse. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guest something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you are content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. If you are content being simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. The key is identity. We don't have to push people away and pull people forward, do all this game with people and vie for a seat if we know who we are. But the problem is we've received messages of our identity based on everything out there except for what's in the Bible and what's in the Word of God and what's in the Holy Spirit, right? For instance, what I said about Micah. When you're in junior high and high school, there's usually one word that defines you. It could be a phrase. Jock, punk, geek, teacher's pet, boring, weirdo. Um, and there's good ones, too. There's good ones. It could be, um, it could be, what was that, Future Farm Workers of America? That's cool, right? FHA? I don't know. Uh, future Home Workers of America. It could be um, Cheerleader. That could have defined you. It could be popular. It could be John's girlfriend. It could be a lot of things. But there's usually when you're in those ages, there's a phrase that is you because people gave it to you and because you let them. And then there's also a phrase that you give yourself. Usually it's a phrase like people say, what are you into? Oh, I am a punk Christian. Oh, that's this tiny. That doesn't even touch. Oh, Mexican punk Christian? Make it a little weirder. Mexican punk Christian vegetarian who smokes. That's what I was in high school. Gets more confusing, right? Point being, we are not these little phrases. So if anybody's willing to, for just a few seconds, would you mind, good or bad, shouting out the word or a phrase that defined you? A couple people do it. Come on, you're my friends. Um, In high school or junior high, anyone want to shout them out? Principal's daughter? Loner. Loner. Nerdy brain, clown, prep, the blind kid, 
Goth nerd. Any missionary kids? Any homeschooled? <laughs> homeschooled. Woo! Yeah, right? See, so this is what happens with our identity. Is you can point, there's a phrase. And, and since, if you didn't come up with one, let me give you one you know. Let me give you one you know because we all have, yeah, go ahead. Nerdy. Nerdy. You're perfect here. Um, so here's one you all can identify with. Let's see if you can play this game with me. Birth order. Let's try this little game, this little exercise. Let's do this together. Only child. Only spoiled, bratty, sensitive, lonely, imaginative child. You got that? Oldest daughter. Oldest, bossy, headstrong, kind of a jerk, but brilliant daughter. Oldest son. Oldest go-getter, leader, all-American, can do no bad, but slightly neurotic son. A lot of pressure. Middle child, let's try that one. Middle, empathetic, imaginative, peacemaker, very neurotic middle child. Uh, Baby, youngest child, baby, spoiled, crybaby, doesn't take anything serious, child. And then you got, this is real sad, guys, but 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, who's not the oldest but not the youngest, your position is so sad in life, there's not a stereotype for you. It's pathetic, just sad. I don't believe any of this. I'm saying this is something that our culture says about us. We know this, and we attribute it. So I'm not a bitch. I'm an oldest child. (laughs) It works, right? No. Guys, this is not our identity. This is not our identity. And if we don't use these little eight inches, mine is a little smaller than normal. I've been told I have a small head. Thank you, David Glasswell, for pointing that out. I have a small head, maybe seven and a half inches. But regardless, our brain, our brain is a beautiful thing. It's a sift. We get to choose what we ingest. Yeah, the message is going to hit you, but you choose what you ingest. You choose. You're going to swallow that identity that was given to you or not? Are you going to weigh it against the truth in the Holy Spirit and what Christian people say to you and what the Bible says to you and what the Holy Spirit says to you and say, sorry, that one I'm not going to ingest. That one I'm not going to ingest. Okay, that one might be true and it might be bad and it might hurt, but I'm going to, I'm not going to take it. I mean, it's true, but I'm going to work on it. You know? We get to do that. We get to do that work. Work on your faith with fear and trembling with the Holy Spirit. You don't just have to take it. And it's not too late to change it. So let's look at some verses of identity. We are God's children. It's better than the adopted dog, friends. And they spent thousands of dollars on those adopted dogs. Thousands and thousands of dollars on the adopted dog. And not only that, we're not even just the dog that was from the street that was found. It's like Jesus went to Max Fund and was like, no, 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 no. That one, that one. He picks us. But not just to be his dog, to be his co-heir, his kid. Look at this. 1 John 3, 1 through 2. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends... Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we will be seen like him. Mind blown. Guys, we're supposed to be like him. 
and we are his children. That's more identity than a person that needs to fuss and fuss to sit next to him. Think of that dinner party. Think of like the sound of music, right? And they have like a thousand kids and they're doing this big party and the kids sing and say goodnight and go to bed really happy. That's, that's fiction. It's a fictional movie. But the kids don't have to fight to sit by their dad because they know they have their dad. They've been loved well by their dad and they could say, goodnight, papa, knowing that papa tomorrow is going to hug on them and lavish on them and be there. That's like us. We don't have to freak out and say, no, dude, I'm close with God, close with God. And that means you're not close to God. No, I'm close with God. I'm in with God. That means you're not close with God. Or I'm close with God because I fight to be close with God. God's not going to settle for someone fighting to be near him. That's not what he's about. You don't have to. Have you ever heard that beautiful analogy where you're so safe and pissed off at God, you can be like a little two-year-old and sit on his lap and bang the crap out of his chest crying and he just holds you? Have you ever heard that analogy? I love that. I feel like so often that's me and God. And he's just sitting there like, Bring it. Doesn't hurt. You just need some food. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is more about our identity. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. There's light in our hearts that shines out. Light shines on the godly and joy on those whose hearts are right. Psalm 97.11. And Peter 2.9, 1 Peter, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Guys, you are the host. In the eyes of the world, you are the host. And so where much responsibility, where much authority has been given, much responsibility is given. You're, you're okay. You're in. You're a tight bro from way back. You don't need to panic. You're in the end club. And the list goes on and on and on. So what we need to be doing is um, working on this, replacing lies with truth, actively replacing lies with truth, and having humility. But there's also a second part to this story, and it's not just where you sit. Where is important to God? Where you sit, you know, sitting on the U's, sitting somewhere appropriately. God is also concerned about who you sit next to. It'd be way too easy to say, I really like my life. I like my friends. I like my hobbies. I like Denver. Denver's beautiful. And my life will be really easy if I just have this little pocket around me of very easy people. Sometimes people put on their Facebook page, surround yourself by positive people. Crap. Utter crap. Make sure that the awesome people are around you, the beautiful people, the interesting people. Oh, if you can't offer me something, no. Your negativity won't be, no. Guys, that's not what Christ is saying. He's not saying just be near the people that are like you. That's utter crap. That's too easy. Our life is supposed to be messy. Just find a freaking seat and sit down and see who God puts next to you. That's more interesting. That's going to scum of the earth. There's a woman here tonight, and I won't tell you who, but she's in her... And I won't tell you what age, but I will say she's probably old enough to be my mother. And one day she came up to me with her sweet voice and she said, I've been going to scum for a few months now. And why do some of the people, why do they smell like they don't take a bath? They don't, are they, do they like that? Why do they? And she was confused about why people would be like that. And I've watched her through the months and she has become incorporated in love in this community and loved on people so well. 
and it has not been an issue. I don't know why. I don't know why people do that. I don't care why. They're my brothers and sisters. I don't understand. Some of my best friends in this world, God bless them, I don't understand their parenting, and they don't understand mine. And we've managed to stay the best of friends. The thing is, you don't surround yourself with just people like you. It'd be way too easy to be like, I need to find a new church. There's too many moms that do this. But what would you miss out on? What would your kids miss out on? So God, key change, right? He's worried about the where, but he's also worried about the who. Life is freaking messy if you dive into relationships that are challenging. I think about Japuza. I wouldn't want to live there because when you go downstairs or you go to like do your laundry, it's like seeing 10 people that have like, you know, it's overwhelming. You're living with them all the time. But that might be a good exercise for someone like me. It's good to be in the face of people that are very different from you. And trust me, not everybody likes my personality either. Some people don't like people that have rainbows for breakfast and are chipper all the time. It's really hard to be chipper at scum of the earth, let me tell you. You know, you know I would have a Pentecostal tamarind up here if I could. Probably wouldn't be allowed. Okay. So there's one more thing I have to mention here, and that is that everything I just said is not what Jesus was talking about. Everything I just said was not what Jesus cared about. It's just not. Jesus is not concerned with giving us a moral list. He's not concerned about saying, be a good person like this. That's not what he was doing. What he was doing was he was sitting at this table and he had these opportunities with Pharisees, religious people who he and God did not know, religious people who followed the letter to the law, who did not have Christ and God's goodness in their hearts. That was me when I was younger, all those years living fragmented. I'm a Christian. It's like giving me money in my pocket to go buy a pizza, but I never buy it. What good does it do me? That's who these Pharisees were. They had the gold ticket, but they weren't cashing it in for a good life, for a loving life, for a fruit-filled life. And so when Jesus is sitting at this table, he's not talking to the disciples saying, you should be nice to people. He is saying, the kingdom of God is like a dinner party. And if you push and push and push your way in, you're missing out. You don't have to push yourself in. You don't have to do that. God wants to give you honor in his way. When you humble yourself, God will give you honor. Not only that, Jesus is saying to the people here, give to other people in a way that they can never repay. Have you ever given to someone in a way they could never repay? Taken someone in, given a lot of money, given kindness, given years of your life. I'll tell you one thing, your parents did that for you. You can never repay them. Mike and Mary Sayers, I can never repay for opening up their lives and their hearts to me and a lot of us. Um, I live off of support. It's come. I can never repay back all those dollars. I can never repay it. But when you live in a way to bless people in a way they can never repay, you are being Christ-like. You are being God-like because God gave in a way we can never repay. He did it first. It was his idea. He gave to us in a way we can never repay. And then his son willingly gave his life in a way we can never repay. And so when we give in a way that someone can never repay, we actually get to know what it's like a little bit. That's, that's the character thing. 
That's the little character thing we get to know about how God is. And it's not because of karma, guys. It's not because of that, you know, remember that movie where that kid that sees dead people is in? Payback movie? What is that? Pay it forward? It's that little boy. Pay it forward. He's also in Sixth Sense. But yeah, it's the same kid. He's in Pay It Forward. You ever seen that where he does something good, so they do something good. So they do something good and it's karma? No. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Don't do something good expecting for something back. Tit for tat. I did this, so you're going to do this. Or I did this, so hallelujah, the money's going to rain on me tonight. It doesn't work like that. What you get is a good spot at the table with God. What you get is confidence knowing that you're in. What you get is just to sit where you are, relaxed next to who God puts you by. How about that? How about if that was cool? How about if that's all you wanted? How about if that was enough? Um, And so to tie it all back, Micah and Keith and Reese eventually led me to Corona Presbyterian where we met Mike and Mary Sayers. And that crew, that little crew, that was the first group of people I ever met that taught me what Christ was like, were the first people on staff at Scum of the Earth Church. Which is pretty freaking cool. Cool legacy. All right. um, I'm going to pray and then we'll have some more worship. Father, thank you so much for tonight, Lord. I thank you for, um, for teaching us how to be children of yours, Lord. Keep teaching us how to be children. Keep working that dough through our lives. Keep working that yeast through the dough of our lives constantly, constantly. And for my brothers and sisters that are struggling to replace the lies of their identity with the truth of their identity, Holy Spirit, would you help them? Would you give them different resources in the Bible and verses and other people, Lord, and even in Celebrate Recovery, Father? Just be reminding us of who we are in you. Amen.